Welcome to The Steady Investor with Mark Vickery and Mitch Zacks. In our program today, we'll help you get started or continue to build your nest egg with some of the best practices for retirement planning. It's time to start right now. Here are your hosts, Mitch Zacks and Mark Vickery. Hello, hello, listeners of VoiceAmerica.com's business channel. You're listening to The Steady Investor, sponsored by Zacks Investment Management. I'm your co-host, Mark Vickery, and today we are joined by a very special guest, Dave Bartosiak, Zacks Market Analyst. Uh, you can catch him on his Twitter feed, at Bartosiastics, but we're happy to have him here uh, with The Steady Investor. Good morning to you, Dave. Good morning. How are you I, doing? Actually, it's uh, afternoon. You're in Miami, Florida. So That's I guess right. uh, you're right around lunchtime. Just shortly afternoon by a few minutes now. Thanks for taking your lunch hour uh, with the Steady Investor. Um, I was hoping that we would have something different to talk about than normal. And I thought we would have like a breaking news on the health care reform vote. Uh, it looks like that's pushed back. I don't, I don't know exactly. Today, I imagine. Uh, but I think what we should maybe do is do talk more about a retrospective. I mean, we're, we've gotten to a particular point in the market and in the new administration, that is, frankly, pretty interesting. Absolutely. <laughs> just to, to, say it, to say it mildly. Um, so I just wanted to say, let's maybe start from the beginning. How, how did we get here? What is this Trump rally all about, and what does it signify going forward, Dave? Sure, absolutely. So it all started um, leading in the days leading up to the election, when it looked like there was a chance that Trump was, you know, Trump had a chance of winning. And I don't know if you remember, there were a few days where we had kind of real sharp sell-offs in the market. And the rhetoric was, oh, it's because of Trump and it's because of the uncertainty. You know, maybe he does get in. And and it's just a function of the market really not liking uncertainty at that point because it didn't know kind of which, which way it was going to go. Right. Then in the initial stages of... Uh, of election day, right that night, really after the market had closed, the futures market, when it became evident that Trump was going to win, um, it got a little shaky there. And huge sell off, actually, wasn't yeah, it? It was, yeah, it was a little shaky. Um, definitely a huge sell off into the night, and uh, we kind of wondered, oh, great, now what's going to happen? And really, th- that's when this Trump's trade began to develop. And what we had is a rally right out of the gates. And really, the, the major impact right away was on the, the Russell and the small caps. Because okay. a huge chunk of those names in the Russell, they're more domestically inclined. So right. since they're, they're not these huge multinational corporations, there is definitely a domestic focus. And within that domestic focus, the parts of the market that did the best were, were the regional banks and the smaller financials. Um, and, and they really got the huge benefit because first you were looking at them and saying, okay, well, if, if there's some infrastructure spending, if we do quote unquote, make America great again, obviously that's going to be good for small business and most small businesses lean on these types of financials in order to get the loans that they need and, you know, make their deposits and do their daily banking. It's on a smaller scale, right? So there's that, but then you also had, since Trump was so kind of, you know, against the Fed for, for keeping rates so low for so long, and he was very vocal in that, then you thought that, okay, there's definitely going to be much more pressure on the Fed to increase rates and do it at a quicker pace. So that'll help the net interest margin for some of these smaller banks. So just kind of that twofold, that one-two punch, and that was enough to send the Russell screaming higher, um, you know, basically 
200 points on the Russell, right? Which is a pretty big move considering it was like at 1100 when this started, right? And where are we at the timeline, though, from the election till the point that you just described? How long? From the election up until the beginning of December. So, like the first week of December, the Russell peaked on um, December 9th. Okay. Okay. In that initial surge. Right. And then. And then things started to get a little a little bit cloudy. Okay, so the, the financials did well, the infrastructure plays did well, domestic industrials did well. Okay, so that's why the Russell rallied so much. And then the market kind of transitioned, and then we said, okay, maybe we got ahead ourselves a little bit, right? But you had this inflation of or this multiple expansion that was taking place within sectors of the market that traditionally don't have huge multiples. Banks, you know, historical PE on banks is not all that crazy high, right? Those right. are supposed to be a little bit more on the conservative side of things. So when those multiples start to expand, then what happens is you get a repricing of risk across the market. So I think throughout, you know, December and January, um, that's what you had is, is the market was kind of repricing itself. Things were sort of catching up. But you did see that the, the large caps in the Dow benefited more during that, just coming out of that sort of consolidation period. But within that consolidation, from basically the 9th of December on through the first week of February, second week of February, for example, like the Dow was just kind of just hovering under 20,000. So the large caps went sideways the whole way. Small caps were sideways the whole way, pretty much everything, save save for NASDAQ. Right, so it's a little bit more bullish on on the Nasdaq side, the tech, the higher beta plays. But I think that's that had very little to do with with the Trump trade, as far as what parts of the market should be going up. That was more of just I think a purely sort of high beta kind of thing, right? Where you're looking at the market and saying, okay, if overall the market is up, then stocks that have a tendency to move more than the overall market should do better, right? So the higher beta moves, the more volatile more volatile players should move more if the less volatile players are also on the move. Uh, so moving up and, uh, at, up and or down? down. Right. Up and so down. the beta is really just like a multiplier coefficient. So if, you know, the, the overall market of the S&P is up 1%, your high beta players, if they have a two beta, you know, they should be up 2%, right? Mm-hmm. So, or 1.02 or whatever it is. So anyway, so um, this is what we're looking at here now. Since February, you've had a huge move up in the Dow, where it broke through that 20,000 level, approached those all-time highs, got to those all-time highs above 21,000. And then now, over the course of the last month, now, again, we're out of earnings season. Right. We had a few economic events that were popping up. So you had the Fed. We knew they were going to hike rates. You had the ECB. You knew they weren't going to do anything. Um, and then you had, um, you know, our jobs numbers coming out, which you hoped were going to be good, but there was no guarantee that they were going to be good. Right. They ended up okay. So now after that dust settled, we've got this period of time from the Fed raising rates to when earnings season kicks off again in another three, four weeks. Right. And... Now, what do we have to look at? So all we have to look at now is this first bill, the first real tough bill that Trump is trying to get passed. The first of his campaign promises that have to go through Congress, he has to show that he is, in fact, the deal maker, that he Mm -hmm. can get 
everybody together on the same page and get things done because a lot of this rally is predicated on, well, that first stage of the rally was predicated on him getting infrastructure spending done. That's why you saw the the small caps rally. And then the later stages of this, I think, are starting to incorporate the tax reforms that he's been promising. Right. Because if you start to do the math on the tax reforms, you really get bullish on this market. Right. Oh, sure. You think about how the bottom lines would just swell for everyone across the board. And then and then put and that's not happening in vacuum. That's already happening in in a market where we're expecting huge EPS growth on the S&P 500 over the course of the next several quarters. Even without any of that, right? Just from earnings getting traction. And I want to talk about Q1 earnings in the forecast in in a little while, but, but continue. Okay. Yeah, no, no, that's, I mean, this is exactly spot on my, you know, um, Shiraz Mian does a lot of work with this and uh, he makes my life super easy because I just read his report. So he gives me the numbers, you know. Right. Um, so, you know, you, we're, we're looking at year over year re- quarterly or year over year EPS growth in the S&P, you know, something like 6.5% is what we're looking for for next quarter. Wow. And none of this has taken into account the possibility of the tax cut. So the, the analysts have not yet come in and, and modeled for that, which is great, I think, because then now you can go ahead and give that another boost by several percentages, several percentage points, right? Right. And so, but we were already sort of coming out of this trough where we were done with the earnings recession. You know, basically starting in the second quarter of 2015, we started to see quarterly contraction in S&P earnings. Right. And that just ended in the third quarter of 2016 when we got 3.7% quarterly earnings growth. That's Last correct. quarter, we got 7.3% growth. So we're, we're coming out of this thing. Um, and and so it's, it's, we're on an upswing. And that's what we're trying to do here is sort of justify the valuations of the market. Now, when you can come on in and say, okay, now we're going to give a tax cut on the corporate side, you can easily see how that's going to be a big benefit to their bottom line. Sure. But then now, now go ahead and try and figure what that would look like for the middle class. You know, if if we're paying fifteen percent taxes instead of instead of twenty five thirty percent taxes, how is that going to change our spending habits? And and what's that going to do the to the velocity of money? How quickly are we going to spend things? What's that going to do to the economy? So. That's really hard to factor in. I, I don't think I don't think we'll know it until it happens. Um, but it seems like it would have a snowball effect to a good degree. I mean, to an excellent degree, it could. It, it, the forecast so. should be hugely bullish. You absolutely hope so, right? So that's what this market rally is built on. Is is that sort of hope? But it all hinges on Trump's ability to get this done. So. All you could do when you're when you're trying to gauge what will happen, what may happen, is you have to look at what has already happened, and what's already happened is not is it's not that convincing. Um, and again, so I, I I wanted to give the little disclaimer that you know, being a market analyst, right? I I there are a lot of factors that come into play here, and the political landscape is a huge factor specifically for this market right now. And I don't claim to be a you know political expert here. And honestly, people don't pay me to be a political expert. Right. But 
I can certainly kind of weigh out the um, the chances of of different outcomes, right? So sure. that's all I'm looking at, and I'm I'm not making a, a stance one way or the other on 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 whether or not it actually happens, or if he has the political clout, or all that kind of stuff. There's other experts that do that, right? That's not my forte. Well, okay, um, so go ahead. Yeah, so so what I'm trying to do here is just look at what has happened and where we are. So travel ban number one struck down. Right. Custom tailored travel ban number two struck down. Mm-hmm. Um, initial budget landed like a thud on Capitol Hill. This is what the uh, increased uh, military spending, but uh, lots of cuts in the State Department and right. elsewhere. Lots of cuts everywhere else but military, right? right? So, I mean, there's a few people that are happy about that. But for the most part, you know, the the rhetoric on Capitol Hill was they didn't like that too much, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it's all political posturing, and I don't want to get into all that. But the scoreboard right now is three to zero. He hasn't been able to put something up where everybody was like, yes, that's a home run. Absolutely do it. So... He needs that. He needs to get a, a political victory here. He's got to make something happen. So that's setting up this health care vote to be a major deal here and could be a turning point for the market. And it's something I, I wrote about this in uh, November, actually, at the end of November. I thought he had 100 days, but I was just kind of throwing it out there because everybody says, you know, the, the first 100 days in office is the most right. important for the president. So it's it's going to be close to 100 days, probably by the time they work some of this out, right? Right. Um, we're already, you know, two-thirds of the way there, pretty much. Um, but that what he does early on is going to make the biggest impact for the market. So right. we, really, we really need to see this happen early on so we can set the tone so that we can go, yes, he is, in fact, going to get this done. Or... If he's already coming into trouble early on, then it kind of makes you wonder how much is he going to be able to get done before midterm elections? Because those guys are going to be out to lunch. You know, you've got 2017 and then they're campaigning again. So if you don't get some meaningful reforms done here early on, it's going to be really tough to get those people that are up for election to, to go ahead and back you in that 11th hour. So that's right. why the market is so nervous about this vote on health care. Well, right. Not Go because ahead. of the impact it's going to make directly on the market, but because of what it says for Trump's ability to get his reforms passed. Yeah, and we just have a couple of minutes here left to talk about this, but before we go to a break, um, but I just wanted to say, or three minutes, I should say, um, but I uh, wanted to bring up the, the, the idea that it's it's healthcare reform and it's it's um, it's uh, travel bans. Those aren't exactly the things that were on the minds of most people who are uh, supportive of of a, a, a Trump victory and that kind of thing. It was the tax cuts. It was the deregulation. It was the it was that kind of stuff. Yet we led with a different side of things, which is I think curious to me. Do you do you have a, a an understanding of why that might have been? It is curious, and I don't know. And again, this is this is one of those things that's uh, I'm over kicking my coverage on this one. I hear you. Me too. Um, but no, but yeah, I guess it's fun to kind of talk about it. Perhaps maybe if, if you put through a couple of things that, that maybe won't won't happen, then you could say, okay, guys, look, you didn't give me this, you didn't give me this, you got to give me this on the tax reform, right? Okay. And who's going to argue with tax reform? Well, I'm saying, right? The only, yeah. So the Freedom Caucus right now, I guess, is his number one stumbling block. 
These yeah. are sort of the budget hawks that are out there that you know don't don't want to go spending a bunch of money. Right. Um, so obviously the tax cuts you know could have an impact on them, but as long as I, I think it's really a test of Trump's ability to get the people at the table and be the deal maker that he told us all he was going to be. I mean, I that's part of the Trump anybody, brand, isn't it, right? I mean, right? This is, he's got to get the win. That's what he's about, right? If you could just isolate Trump's deal-making ability and take out, take out everything else, if it was just Trump as a deal-maker, I don't think there would be too many people in the U.S. that would vote against a guy who's a deal-maker, if that's all it was. Okay, but... <laughs> you got well, checks and balances and three, four, you know, three right, levels. But there's, but there's all sorts of other stuff going on there. But as far as this part of the deal making, pretty much everybody has faith that he can be the deal maker. Now, if he can't do that, then there's a lot of people that are going to go against the rest of what he has to say. Hmm. Even when it comes to the things like tax cuts, do you think? Absolutely. Because if he can't get it done here, why would why do we think you're going to get it done anywhere else? Very interesting. Uh, yeah. So, um, well, here's a question for you. We don't have a lot of time, like I said, but uh, um, so I guess the one argument would be, and maybe we can pick this up if it's a bigger conversation uh, after the break, but one argument might be for not having a tax cut is Q, uh, quarterly earnings themselves. If we're seeing traction now, if we're seeing these uh, companies that are, that, are really, uh, that are really driving ahead with taxes where they are right now, why do you need to cut them? And see, and that's going to bring up another huge risk that we could talk about here in a little bit. Yeah. And that is if the economy is already heating up and you do something on the tax side and you do something on the infrastructure spot side and you really kickstart inflation, yeah. there's a risk that the Fed has to come in and snuff things out. All right. Let's hold it there, Dave. Uh, we're with Dave Bartosiak on The Steady Investor. Please stick with us. You'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The Steady Investor Show is brought to you by Zach's Investment Management, a wealth management boutique formed over 23 years ago and manages several billions of dollars for thousands of customers. At Zach's, we believe acting in your best interest is our obligation. Zach's focuses on providing solutions and listening to our clients' needs. With trust in the financial industry at an all-time low, we find this focus to be a key differentiator for our firm. We're based in Chicago and have a team of advisor representatives located across the country to help you with your retirement planning. Whether you need help with financial planning or looking for a second opinion on your retirement plan, give us a call at 1-800-918-3114 or to learn more, go to info at zax.com. Again, that number is 1-800-918-3114 or go to info at zax.com. Fast performance is no guarantee of future results. Potential for loss exists in any investment. Material is for informational purposes only. It is not investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice. A recommendation to buy, sell, or hold a security. No advice is given about a strategy's suitability for a particular investor. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You 
You're listening to The Steady Investor. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to cgaitan at zax.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the second segment of The Steady Investor, sponsored by Zach's Investment Management. This is Mark Vickery, joined today by our special guest, Dave Bartosiak, Zach's market analyst, uh, momentum trader, home run trader, lots of lots of great uh, fun things that, that Dave is involved with. If you'd like to call into the show, let me give you that number again uh, that was on the recording, uh, 866-472-5790. 472-5790. You can call that number. You can speak directly to myself and Dave Bartosiak about, uh, about well, the markets, um, what's going on with... Uh uh, with the administration, what's going on with anything with your particular portfolio. And the steady investor likes to focus on uh, ways that we can kind of right the ship and keep things going so everybody's uh, um, uh, making money in the market uh, as time goes along. All right, so Dave, we were talking about uh, oh, we are talking about Trump and we were talking about the health care vote and we are talking about a lot of things. Now, earnings season is something I wanted to kind of revisit here because Q4, all right, Q, Q3 was the first quarter where we got out of a, I think it was a five quarters long uh, earnings recession. Yep. Um, and then we, and that was a decent one. But I think Q4. This again, we're going to re- relate to uh, um, Director of Research Shiraz Mian's, um information that he he comes out with. That Q4 was at a historic high of earnings growth, and we are. And for Q1, we're looking at maybe not a historic highs quite that uh, height, but um, still very strong. Uh, so with this in mind, w- that it should be a positive for the for the stock market, regardless of what happens with Trump's policies or with what he can or can't get done, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that stand to reason that, that the market should be able to, to catapult itself just on based on strong earnings? Absolutely, it should. Because, you know, ultimately all it is is the valuation that we put on the S&P, right? Times how much money S&P companies are making, and that's what you're going to get um, in the market, right? right essentially, so it's kind of simple, right? Mm-hmm. Right, it's that simple. And when you start to look out at this, so... Again, fourth quarter, 7.3%, right? Q1 right now is projected about 6.5%. Still strong. Q2, 7.5%. Q3, 6.6%. And Q4 of 2017, 9.5%. So these are some huge numbers that we're looking at over the course of the next year. It would definitely be a tailwind for the market, regardless of what ends up happening um, with Trump's policies. I just want to reiterate that you said that this is not including anything like a tax cut or deregulation that might uh, enhance these numbers further. Is that correct? Right. They're not, they're not really modeling for that. Nobody's they don't want to model for it until it happens. Right. Because you look silly. If you come out here and you do, you know, you're going to adjust your model for every single company that's out there based on something that you don't even know what's going to look like. Right. That's just way too nebulous to do a lot of work on. <laughs> You'd be yeah. out there, you know, <laughs> too many moving parts. You have no idea. So the, 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 really, the sentiment on Wall Street is that when it happens, then we'll adjust for it, but they just don't know. Okay. So, but those are still great numbers when you're looking at quarterly earnings growth year over year on the S&P 500. Now, granted, some of that was on, you know, really bad comps. Sort of year early. That's right. Yeah. Um, and, and so you can't get too excited about stuff like that, right? So what, one thing that happened to me personally 
is heading into this last earnings season, I saw that there was there was huge growth year over year for oil and energy companies. Okay. So I started to get very bullish on these oil and energy companies coming into this, and it didn't really pan out for me. Okay. And um, and that was interesting to see that there was still weakness, even though the this EPS growth was going to be so good for the quarter. Um, it's really where I, you know, I didn't, I don't think I, I made a good call on energy all quarter, to be honest with you. Okay. <laughs> it was just one of those things where I thought I had, you know, thought I had some, some information that people weren't looking at and I was going to make a killing and it didn't happen. Now I didn't lose a bunch of money on it. I just didn't make the money that I could have in other sectors of the market that totally outperformed. Well, maybe that's the key. Is it, is it, do you think it's, uh, the strength in industry has a lot to do with where this uh, earnings growth is going to come from looking ahead? Yeah, absolutely, and and I think with well with oil it was just you know I just jumped the gun on on a either I was too late for you know the initial stages of that recovery and I was just too early for the the further out stages. But but I think I mean oil is a whole new. We could have three three more podcasts talking about you know where oil is going to be over the course of the next year. Um, and, and there's just so much up in the air here with the dollar and uh, right and, and what's going to happen with the Fed. And I mean there's just too many. Too many unknowns out there, I think, to uh, to really get a good beat on what's going to happen with oil over the course of the next year. Okay, because we were talking about, in the break, we were talking about uh, autos, and we're seeing not 6.5% earnings growth for Q1. We're talking about a big no. drop, right? Q1 right now, um, they're talking about negative 13%. Yikes. Um, earnings growth year over year for the autos. But that's on 1.8% growth on the revenue side. Okay. So margin contraction, sure, but really I think it's more of spending on um, and they're investing in the future because there is a huge technological shift taking place right now and all of these auto companies want to be at the forefront when it comes to autonomous driving. I thought so you they, were are, they are pouring money into research and development on that technology and so it's definitely affecting their bottom line and that's part of the reason why ford had the miss that it had today yeah down 50 percent and uh dropping was that in the sales or is that just in their in their earnings i think that was on earnings okay um, and that's because they're spending on on the future right Up yeah to, they're to spending a, a extent. ton of money on the future but the thing you know i mean ford sold off well ahead of this you know the last four days ford has been selling off so it didn't seem like it was that much of a surprise for the market but um, it, it's just the thing about it is we just know that they're, they're spending all this money to, for the future, right? So if you're looking at a stock like Ford, you have to decide, um, do you believe in that future? And do you believe that they're going to be at the forefront of that? And do you want to stick around to wait while they get there? Yeah. I mean, and it seems to me that this goes back to a paradigm shift that happened maybe as far back as Tesla, because it was kind of considered a tech company, not necessarily an automaker. And so now you see people like Google... Right. Uh, getting involved in in uh, 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 self-driving cars and and that sort of thing. So I mean, it's 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 across industries now. It's 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 beyond just um, you know a manufacturing issue. You know, and it's it's an it's an it's an awesome shift just at the the scope and the scale of it, because not only are you having this this change in the technology where now it's you know, you'll, you'll have autonomous cars, which, by the way, I mean, I think will be great. But being a purist myself, I'm kind of terrified, right? You're going to be uh, driving anyway, probably. <laughs> you're going to have to negate. But I don't want to get in a situation where I can't drive 
you know, because the, you know, they say I can't, right? But anyway, I don't, I don't want to get all libertarian here. Um, right. but, <laughs> but the thing about it is, while this is happening, these autonomous technologies are becoming available, you do have a shift, just a generational shift, where millennials aren't really car people for the most part. And people are moving into cities, and in the city, there's less car people, right? Yeah. So, uh-huh. so there's this huge shift that's taking place where people are kind of diverting from, you know, going out and getting the SUV and, you know, living out in the burbs and, and, and chugging around everywhere. So, so yeah, and that kind of, this all does kind of tie into the, what, what makes oil so hard to figure out right now. Um, it is these cars are more, more efficient, you know, in cases like Tesla, it's all electric, right? So obviously right. it's a little bit, um, but and, and then now autonomous driving and the new technologies. And so it's not the same. And then now when you have these autonomous cars, is this now a sharing economy kind of thing? I mean, Tesla was even talking about how your Tesla can go around and autonomous, autonomously drive people like an Uber and then come back and park in your garage at night. Yeah. You wow. know, so, I, I mean, it's just, some of that stuff is just mind bending of what could potentially happen coming out of this. Now, granted you always fantasize about, you know, flying cars and all this crazy stuff sure. and then scale it back several, you know, several stages. And that's actually what's going to happen. But, um, regardless, there's a ton of investment that's going into there and it is sort of merging these traditional car manufacturers with the tech side. And what the result is actually pretty exciting to see. I, I just saw that Ford right now, you can, Using their uh, their sync technology with Alexa, okay. you can order Starbucks. <laughs> so you're driving in your car. You say, Alexa, I really need a, a Trenta iced coffee with cream and sugar. And then she tells you where the nearest Starbucks is. You pay automatically through your, you know, your, your cart, your uh, Apple Pay or whatever. And then you just grab your thing and you go. I mean, everything's on your by the way everything's on your phone too isn't it right yeah it's all, all the these things are apps up and well i think with with ford it's sync it, it's specific to their car right and you can actually get hot spots in these cars i know that was one of the things they offered me they're like hey do you want you know 4g lte in your car and i'm like no like what what, 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 what do i want why do i need to be on the internet when i'm driving what's the matter with you you know <laughs> Well, it might be this that you know you, you're, you're the convenience level is it's it's kind of mind-boggling, or it can be. And the idea, I guess, with uh, especially in the context of what we're talking here, is how do you invest for that? I mean, where do you look for? I guess you'd look for growth, right? And you look for people for the uh, signs of uh, of the companies that are getting ahead and uh, and proving successful, like you would a, sure. a pharmaceutical company with a new drug or something. You know? And it's hard, you know, it's hard looking at a company like Ford to say that's where you go with that. Because while they are innovating and in, in, in getting in on this new space, at the same time, they're cannibalizing their old business and their old right. business model. So they're trying to come, you know, convert that over and, 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 you know, like, oh, it's just a slinky. It's just going to move over here, right? But you don't necessarily know that that market is going to be as large as their previous market was. So I think what you're better off doing is finding smaller players that are within that tech space and that's why I really like what Intel did by buying Mobileye. Right. So, you know, where Mobileye has, makes, you know, the cameras and, and figures out the algorithms for how it is we're going to interpret the outside world via camera and tell these cars where to go. 
Yeah. Um, so it's that kind of thing. And then NVIDIA, I've been bullish on NVIDIA for a long time, but that's back from when I'm just being a computer nerd. This is why I liked NVIDIA, because they make the graphics processing units that go into into computers for gaming. And then okay. now they've adapted that technology where you can use that in your car as the main processing unit um, in order to make these calculations based on the inputs that these cars are getting so that they can drive autonomously. So um, companies like that, when you see these emerging sort of tech companies that have an idea on a really solid idea on how to aid in this industry, I think that's where you want to you know, throw a little bit of your risk money at, not necessarily your, you know, the... The, the, the chunk of your portfolio, obviously. But if I'm looking at, you know, I got a little bit of risk money to play with um, versus buying a Ford, you know, I think I'd be more comfortable buying buying a company that's heavily involved in autonomous tech that's, uh, that's not going to give up a huge chunk of their business model as this evolves. Right. Okay. So alongside this, uh, this discussion, I think we've seen real strength in the semiconductor industry as well lately. Um, would that be a continued place to look toward, or do you think that has kind of been, uh, they're kind of at high levels that uh, it would be a little riskier to kind of put new money to work in? I, You know, I don't think we're done. I don't think we're done by any stretch of the imagination, but I think there is a there is downside risk here. Again, those semis are all going to be the higher beta plays. Okay. So if this market doesn't like what happens tonight with this vote, then... Um, the, they're going to get beat up. They're going to get absolutely whaled on. The other day... Uh, Which, who are? The whole market is going to or just the... The whole market's going to get whaled on and then the higher beta guys are going to really get it. I think it was it was Monday um, when the Russell... Or Tuesday. It was Tuesday this week when we first started to doubt this, this, uh, this bill was going to pass. Right. The Russell, which is a higher beta index with the small caps, was down 2.6%. On that day alone. And this mm. is when the large caps were off a percent. The S&P 500 was 1.3%. So basically twice what the market was doing wow. is what the Russell ended up doing. So then if you were holding individual Russell names, well, like yeah. I had a few of them. We were, I was seeing 6% downside days. Wow. Just because you're in that index. So you could totally see these chips get crushed on, on a market sell-off here. But... That's sort of just a short-term technical kind of you know situation what, with that. Over the long run, that might prove itself to be a great buying opportunity because there is so much demand on the chip side right now. One right. company For- I look at is uh, Micron. I think they're going to report after the bell tonight. Okay. Um, and they make um, DRAM chips. Now the, now, the DRAM market is just like a commodity market. Um, you have basically people that come in and are huge drivers of demand for that because they're making, they're manufacturing electronics and they need DRAM. And then the supply is relatively, you know, you can, you can forecast it out because are you going to open up a DRAM chip factory overnight? Like, no, right. right. It takes a little (laughs) bit for these to come online. So because, because you have that, you tend to see these prices trend in one direction for a while. And DRAM prices have been trending to the upside for a while. And companies like Micron and other companies like that that's, that make this those chips uh, benefit from that. And a huge driver of the demand side, it's not just obviously China continuing to come online, but just the Internet of Things, right. where, where so much more of our devices are smart devices. 
I mean, I'm a big LED light guy. I don't know why. Maybe that's why I'm in Miami, right? I just like the lights. <laughs> but I, I have, I have an L, a color-changing LED light with a speaker in it that I control with my phone. <laughs> nice. Like, that's crazy, right? Uh, the I mean, LED is also what they put on the new cars, too, in the front, uh, front, front absolutely. lights. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, they have LED lighting. They have halogens. They New smart halogens with all sorts of craziness going on. Um, yeah, so, I mean, there's all of these things that are coming out that – that need microchips that never needed microchips before, right? right? Look at a dryer from 20 years ago and a dryer today, new at right. Best Buy, right? Or even your refrigerator. You know, they got refrigerators that tell you when you're running low on milk and automatically order it up through Amazon. Crazy. I mean, it's yeah. bonkers, right? So anyway, so the thing is all this new stuff's coming out and there's new chips that need to meet that demand. Look at how many chips are in cars now that you didn't have before. Before, you were lucky if you had traction control in your car. You know, now it's going to drive itself. So just the <laughs> sprawling demand for chips is definitely driving a lot of this to the upside. It's not just the hopes that these companies are going to do well. It's the realization that this is happening, and there's nothing that's going to stop it right now. All right, we just have a minute left here. So let's, let's maybe I wanted to ask one more question about the semiconductor industry. We have the big players. We have the smaller players. Micron, I'm going to guess, is in the smaller range, probably. And not to dwell too much on that. Do you think, and there'll be probably more of a, a high beta risk with the smaller players, I would imagine, than the big firms like Taiwan Semiconductor or something like that, right? Absolutely. Um, I think they all are going to be in trouble well, if, if the market sells off. Everything's going to sell off. It won't, so, the market won't care. It'll just slash and burn everything. Well, when that's across industries, though, not even just the semiconductors. Right. 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 Okay. They won't right, single so, them out. <laughs> okay. Well, all right. So basically, there'll be nowhere to hide. However, and and maybe we can pick this up after the break, which we've got another couple of seconds only. Um, if this does pass, if the healthcare uh, bill does pass uh, the House, that's probably a boon for the market, at least to a near-term extent, wouldn't you say? Tell you what, Dave, why don't we hold on to that? We're listening to The Steady Investor, sponsored by Zach's Investment Management. Please stick with us for the third and final segment after this word from our sponsors. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. The Steady Investor Show is brought to you by Zach's Investment Management, a wealth management boutique formed over 23 years ago and manages several billions of dollars for thousands of customers. At Zach's, we believe acting in your best interest is our obligation. Zach's focuses on providing solutions and listening to our clients' needs. With trust in the financial industry at an all-time low, we find this focus to be a key differentiator for our firm. We're based in Chicago and have a team of advisor representatives located across the country to help you with your retirement planning. Whether you need help with financial planning or looking for a second opinion on your retirement plan, give us a call at 1-800-918-3114 or to learn more, go to info at zax.com. Again, that number is 1-800-918-3114 or go to info at zax.com. Fast performance is no guarantee of future results. Potential for loss exists in any investment. Material is for informational purposes only. It is not investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice. A recommendation to buy, sell, or hold a security. No advice is given about a strategy's suitability for a particular investor. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. 
were listening to The Steady Investor. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to cgaitan at zax.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, listeners of VoiceAmerica.com's business channel. This is The Steady Investor, sponsored by Zach's Investment Management, the third and final segment uh, for today. Um, we're here every Thursday, uh, 11 a.m. Central Time uh, to 12 p.m. Central Time. Uh, we're joined today by a very special guest, Dave Bartosiak, Zach's market analyst. Uh, he's got a Twitter feed that you should uh, definitely check out. It's uh, at Bartosiastics, B-A-R-T-O-S-I-A-S-T-I-C-S. Right. Perfect. Right. Great. And I wanted to say also, for more information about how to invest your assets for retirement, you can call Zach's Investment Management right here in Chicago at 800-918-3114. You can discuss at length your risk levels and investment strategies that are best suited for you and your family. Uh, For more information, you can email us at info at ZimWealth, that's Z-I-M for Zach's Investment Management Wealth.com, or visit our website, ZimWealth.com. And if you call in that number, 800-918-3114, we will send you a free stock market outlook written by uh, John Blank, somebody that Dave and I know very well, um, who was, actually was the guest on the show last week uh, here at the Steady Investors. So um, uh, comprehensive report, kind of what we were referring to, uh, Shiraz Mian's uh, important information coming out. Uh, John Blank brings up plenty of comprehensive material that is uh, worthwhile for any investor serious about, um, about making gains in the market. Uh, okay, Dave, so we spent the last two segments talking a little bit about or talking at, pretty much at length about what happens if this health care uh, bill does not pass today in the House and the crashing and burning and all of that, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, that's not to say it won't, right? I think this j- the jury is definitely still out here. So what, let's, let's game play this a little bit. Let's say it does pass. It passes the House and things are looking good for the market then. Wouldn't that, be, wouldn't that, necessitate, wouldn't that necessarily be the case? If it passes the House, the market's up over 2% tomorrow. Okay, I like it. I think I think it's a huge route. I think it's fifty handles on the S and P five hundred all time highs, and that's what the market will do. Okay, um, because they'll have so much more confidence in Trump's ability to make those deals happen and come through on the on the meaningful economic packages that have been promised. Plus, again, what is the major negative risk if you're a bear in this market? Once mm-hmm. you get past this, what do you have to hold on to? Yeah, what do you have to be bearish about? Not right? to mention, there are a ton of bears that probably went ahead and set up shop, went short last Wednesday. You know, 2390 was a high on the S&P 500. Mm-hmm. There are a ton of stops um, ahead of that 2390, 2400. So essentially, if you're short the market and you have a, a, what's called a buy stop, you sold already, and you're going to have to buy if the market runs in your face. So that's just more fuel for the fire on the top end of that trading range if the market does rally and get up there, which I it certainly has a chance. So that forces so, even the bears to have to be have to help out the bulls, really. Right. Ultimately. So the bears turn around, and have to help the bulls, and and they have to go long just to cover, and uh, and and the market get you know fuels higher. I think a little bit of what you saw the last couple of days here, it could be a a, a short covering rally because now they're starting to say, oh, I don't know, maybe it could pass. But if it does pass, I think the market goes screaming higher. So the S and P obviously 
breaks on through 2400 you'll see you know the the nasdaq which has pretty much been at all-time highs this whole time obviously bangs out another all-time high the russell will continue to rally the dow does great um but one thing that's been really interesting uh in these early days in, in these last few weeks is that the the 10 year the yield on the 10 year has been dropping yeah. since the fed announcement which is weird right right so everybody's mortgage rate you know actually could have gotten cheaper here yeah. um even though the fed raised rates and that's that's very confusing for for a so, lot of people yeah can you do you, can you explain that i'm not sure that i can i can because it's risk off okay so for a couple of things the fed is is on the short end of the curve right there that's the overnight rate the fed funds rate okay that they're messing around with for they're sure. not controlling 10 years out right the japanese are out there trying to control 10 years out and they're having a heck of a time doing it Um, so this is part of what the market's doing. So if you're nervous about the market, if you're nervous about Trump's ability to pass this legislation or help get the legislation passed, you're going risk off and you're putting money into things like the 10 year, right? So that's Uh why we've seen rally there. It's strictly a risk off sort of thing. Um, but again, if the bill gets passed, then you'll see, the 10-year yield go up. And that 10-year yield went up during the same period of time that the Russell went up. So following the election, at the election, we were at, we were under 2% on the 10-year. We were 1.8% on the 10-year on election Mm -hmm. day. Yeah. And by that second week of December, we were already at 2.5%. Right. I mean, it has zoomed up, but it's, it's definitely plateaued or even come back some. In the last month, right? Right. It's chopped around as sort of the risk appetite is chopped around also for investors. Because now, well, part of that, you know, part of that was obviously earnings season, right? Right. Um, but another part of that, though, is is now, you know, the worry about, okay, can Trump, in fact, get get these get these reforms passed? Get these okay, so today, let's say later this afternoon, the House passes uh, this health care uh, bill into, well, not into law because it's got to go through the Senate. And that's a whole other that's a whole other ballgame. That's another um, wall sure. of worry, I imagine, for the market to climb. Um, so, what do you see? The same kind of scenario? You see, like inching back ahead of that, based on doubts and based on uh, bearish uh, sentiment. So, if they pass, you know, I think I think there's a huge reaction to it. I think it go. I think the ten year goes up to two six. Um, within if it, if within the same day. The if it, if it ha- no, just in the house. I'm just talking about the house okay. still. If right. it passes the house, I think we're at two six. Um, and then, and then the Senate thing is almost like um, the market's not really even worried about that right now, which is well, funny. But yeah, it's not well, even it's not even the worry. That's almost like a secondary issue. And I don't even know if the how much how how worried the market will be. I I could definitely see a scenario where we're just chopping around yeah. until a lot of this gets muddled on through, right? Wasn't that a major prediction of when Trump actually did win the presidency is we're going to see a lot more volatility. And that actually is good for people like you because you like that gap uh, in the market trading. It is good. I mean, the the volatility can be good. um, But when it's erratic volatility, then it's then it's not good at all. But I I like volatility because I, you know, every once in a while I get a chance to trade the VIX, uh, the SIBO volatility index. Mm -hmm. But the VIX has been at historical lows for Pretty much, I mean, it feels like forever. 
Um, the last time the VIX was above 20 was before the election. Um, and since then, it's been in the, the low teens most of the time. And in traditionally, you want, I mean, the VIX has been in the 20s kind of historically. And then so if, if we just barely get a spike above that on periods of extreme volatility, overall, it's really not. There's, there's very little volatility in this market. So I, I think that the, the volatility guys would appreciate some, some chopping around because well, that, that's the thing. That this volatility has been in such a tight range on yeah. the S&P 500, on the Dow. Um, so it, it's not really – I mean, the, the down day that we had on Tuesday was the first 1% drop in the S&P 500 since October. Oh, yeah. So wow. that's a very long period of time, sure. uh, especially during, a, you know, and even during a bull market, that's a long period of time to wait for a, 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 t- a quick retrace to get back in on the cheap. Right. Absolutely. And we're, so we're talking, though, about a volatility picking up uh, as risk off kind of comes comes back into play. Right. If, and if we got that, I mean, if we got that, I, I, like, I think they, you know, if they end up passing this market rallies and then and nobody cares about any of this for a while right right um, right but that's still not even making it into a law and let, we haven't even discussed what it means as far as healthcare coverage for people either i mean that's like it's right. almost neither here nor there at this point right no it's yeah and it's not it's it's just the sort of the symbolic nature of something getting done one of his early promises getting done Right. So you know how the market is we love to speculate and just extrapolate one little thing and just expect Band it out over the course of the next, you know, umpteen years. Like, oh, if he does this, everything's going to happen, and the market will surely overreact to the upside. Um, but I could totally see, and I was saying, sort of that first day being a huge rally. Uh, I think if it passes the house, the market could get to twenty five hundred before, or the S and P could get to twenty five hundred before there's any, before there's another one percent pullback. Okay, so twenty five hundred. So ever after having passed twenty for the first time, or so when was that? When did it? When did uh, when when did we pass so, twenty? It wasn't even that long ago. I mean, it doesn't feel like it was that long ago, right? We're talking what twenty fourteen, I think. Okay, uh, right. But we chopped down lower, and then uh, you know, election day, the market was at uh, twenty one hundred, basically. Right. So right. I think we get to twenty five hundred. Really, we could get twenty five eighty five. Is another level I keep an eye on. That's basically if you take the 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 Trump the move from election day to mm-hmm. the highs. Um, it's just that same move. Okay, so hey Dave, uh, yep. go ahead. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. I was going to make you finish, let you finish your point, uh, but uh, I have a, a. I wanted to, to kind of to do something here. We do this with Mitch Sachs when he's on the show. Uh, it's called Mitch's Mailbox, and so we, we'll get um, uh, emailed questions from investors. Okay. And uh, and maybe with the last four minutes that we've got here for the program, uh, just ask the question that Terry from New Orleans has asked, and see where you go with that, and then we'll just close out the show like this. What do you think? Sure. All right. So Terry from New Orleans says, "Last year was a really good year for the stock market." Uh, but my 401k didn't perform nearly as well. My portfolio was invested in a 60% mix of growth and value, mutual funds, and about 30% bond funds, with the rest of it in international mutual funds. The S&P 500 was up, up almost 10%, but I was up only uh, 4.5%. What gives? Okay. What do you have to tell, well, Terry? Go ahead. That's, that's, if, if you think about it, so what did he say? 60% was uh, growth and value? Correct. 
So the then 60% of your return should be explained by the S&P 500. So there's, what, 6% there. Okay. And then you had, depending on the mix that he had in the bond portfolio, what the quality was, what the, um, what the duration on those funds were, mm-hmm. it's tough to tell what the bonds did. And then international, depending on was he developed international or, um, emerging, or emerging international, could have taken a hit so that and then so so what you've got to do I think is you should really take a look and do a sort of portfolio x-ray and figure out specifically what parts of that portfolio were not working what was lagging behind and maybe he's paying mutual fund managers that are simply not giving him alpha right they're not outperforming the market mm-hmm. and so he shouldn't be in those so he really needs I think to take a step back and look at the actual mix, and I think we, we might know a few people that may be able to help them do that. Right, sure, here at Zach's, both at Zach's, uh, well, at Zach's Investment Management, particularly the sponsor of the show, uh, but with, with also with bond funds uh, in the past year or so, and we're looking at a, that's a risk-off strategy, and we saw, as, as he said, almost 10% gains in the S&P. So, the big uh, thing is going to be, so one, one big problem with a lot of these bond funds, you don't exactly know what's inside of there, right? Because they can kind of move whenever they want. And the thing about it is, you, as the search for yield was, be, was, people were getting more and more desperate, a lot of those fund managers went further out and they dropped the credit quality sort of to the baseline of what they could do within their investment objectives. So as they increased the maturity on those bonds in order to get higher yield, they added dura- they added levels of duration to the portfolio or interest rate sensitivity to the portfolio. So then smaller moves in interest rates could have a more of a negative impact on that bond portfolio. So bond funds are really something you got to keep an eye on, but there's a lot of smart people that know exactly which bond funds you should be looking at. So I would defer to them. Okay, very good. Terry, I hope that answers your question. Uh, thanks for, for writing into us. Uh, we're going to end it right here. Dave Bartosiak, thanks so much for joining us here on The Steady Investor today. We really enjoyed it. Um, you're listening to The Steady Investor. We'll be back next week, sponsored by Zach's Investment Management. We hope you'll uh, join us um, when we are back next Thursday. Uh, for Dave Bartosiak, I'm Mark Vickery. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for tuning in this week. Be sure to join Mitch Zacks and Mark Vickery for another edition of The Steady Investor next Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you haven't started your retirement plan yet, what are you waiting for? 